Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, Episode 11. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Fader, and today is Part 2 of our special two-part interview with Jeb Carr. Jeb is a bit of an authority on the political and religious contexts and underpinnings of the modern pseudo-archaeology and pseudo-history movement. We expand to reach a variety of topics throughout this two-part special. We hope you stick around for both parts of our interview with Jeb Carr. Funny beady blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Buse, I always forget his, his first name. He wrote this book on, on Bigfoot. He's pretty much, it's all about masculinity. It's all about going into the woods and masculinity. It's the symbol of like nature and et cetera, et cetera. But it fits into this stuff beautifully. And, you know, there's well, politics behind it. The gender politics of some of this stuff really does interest me a lot because, like, with the aliens thing uh-huh. and the whole coming to Earth and having relations with the Earth women, it's like, man, you know, well, either Earth women are the most desired thing in the universe or it just truly does suck to be a woman because everything wants to impregnate you. Well, that's – oh, my God. I mean, so – you know, I mean, that's – And apparently you have the universal womb as well because apparently it all comes out. None of it dies in uterine. Well, that was the that was the beautiful thing. I mean, I've, I've heard people talk about this, and I think it was maybe the writers who talked about this, with Alien, the original Alien. You know, they pretty much inverted that. It's a guy who – yeah. serves the role and and it works perfectly with all this you know mechanosexual imagery that uh, Giger entered into this and it's like this it works amazingly it's it's funny you say that for 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 a couple of reasons one is uh, I was uh, I got a catalog uh, earlier this year for a press which will go unnamed but they write a lot about excursions that might have events on them in a manner that has no limits and you may be able to guess who I'm talking about the editor has been on Ancient Aliens, and that should give you enough. All of the imagery, all the illustrations that weren't book covers were all from, like, classic golden era pulps, like sure. big-eyed yeah. monsters and, like, you know, women in, like, shiny little things and guys with, with, like, ray guns. And I'm like, so you're just, like, you're not even, like, pretensing anymore. You're just like, yeah, I know what this is. <laughs> but the other reason, you mentioned that the gender politics, the whole alien abduction thing, you know, yeah, that has that running through it, especially because there was this whole, and this is blown up. If you, if you look this up, all I need to say is Google, Google Bud Hopkins, Google, Google Emma Woods. That's all I'm going to say about that. If you're interested in this and it's a, it's a blank show of epic proportions. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm actually self-censoring, which is amazing to me. It's all about these therapists or researchers 
hypnotizing people. And there were some really weird dynamics. Yeah. Some crazy weird dynamics there, which, again, if you Google those things I just mentioned, uh, you'll find and, – and the people have defended themselves and all that. And I don't want to talk about it. You know, it gets, it gets crazy. But there's, there is. And a lot of people have commented on this. A lot of the stuff that then infects pseudo-archaeology actually comes from that particular corner of, our, of, of UFO belief in the 80s mm-hmm. and, and then gets pushed back. You know, that's where the gray alien comes from, all this stuff in there. And, and so to, to kind of, you know, bring it back to Ken's question, why is this gone crazy, you know, and never mind the bigger politics, is that these things all talk to each other. And it's long before the Internet. You know, getting back to the pulps, people did stuff like the Internet. Like we talk about, you know, YouTube comments, message boards, email, Facebook, social media. People used the letters columns of like yeah. amazing stories and weird tales to do that in the 1940s. And not just about science fiction, but about the origins of pseudo-archaeology. Like I've mentioned the Shaver mysteries a couple of times. This is sort of proto-UFO stuff that also t- brought in like Atlantis and theosophy and ancient stuff that's all the foundations of ancient aliens. That got built organically in the letters columns of amazing stories. It would yeah. be recognizable to anybody who knows what a blog is. We think these are new ways of communicating it's only cheaper and faster. Well, it's much faster. It's instantaneous yeah. as opposed to waiting for the next issue of Amazing Stories to come out where you can read those things. Well, it's probably why the spelling's worse. There's that they had editors. <laughs> hey, there no, you man. go. Absolutely. Hey, no. You know. Well, no, it, it, I think it has changed the conversation, though, because like you said, you have to wait for the next episode to come out. Yes, you probably read the article and had a knee-jerk reaction, and then you wrote your letter, and then you had to send it off, and you had to wait. And I mean, they didn't publish every letter that got, except you know, that they got, and blah blah blah. blah. The internet feeds that more because, like on a blog, unless you're moderating the comments, which a lot of people don't do because it's kind of a pain in the butt. Right. You could read an article and then just immediately post your thoughts about it, and then you could even tell it to tell you when someone else replies back. So. You can have an instantaneous conversation, so you can just get as angry and as flamey as you want to get. Oh yeah, but it's funny you say that they would, you know, they 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 would print in every letter. So very capsule story. Basically, when I, I talk about these shaver mysteries. It was this guy. He was an arc welder, and at one point, his arc welder started, rec- you know, producing the voices that he heard from the underground evil Deros people, because okay. that happens. Uh, and he started writing about it. And so he started writing these very disjointed letters, Richard Shaver did, and he had sent them to amazing stories, which was, you know, pulp. This is the height of the pulps. This is the height. Science fiction had been sort of this tawdry thing and it was beginning to emerge. This is right when you get your Asimovs and your Heinleins and your Bradburys. It's right after your Howards and your Lovecrafts and all of that. Mm -hmm. And he sends these letters in. And he sends him into Amazing Stories, and one of the editors there, uh, for reasons largely of public of, – of, not public spite – of spite at his, his boss, who he hated for a number of reasons. His boss <laughs> was like, don't print this. This is, this is you know – they didn't have it back then, but this is tinfoil hat garbage is, is basically it. And he threw it away. Palmer grabbed it out of, the, out of the trash can and printed it to spite him, and he cleaned it up. And he also knew there was something to it. And he prints these things and says they're real. And, of course, the guy sending them believed they were real. Whether Palmer did is a very open question. He said he did, but he said a lot of things. 
And he started printing them. And they sold like hotcakes. Right. Yeah. And then people started writing in about their own encounters with in the caverns with the evil Deros and started expanding this open source mythology. And Palmer printed those. And he would print the wildest ones, not the best ones, the ones that sold more. And he sensationalized more and more to the point where sci-fi readers revolted and said, no more. We're trying to class our act up. He got fired. We didn't get fired. He left. He founds Fate Magazine. He's writing all about this stuff in 1945, 1946. Who do you think printed the first stories about this new thing that get called flying saucers? Fate Magazine. And he started printing it as an extension nice. of the Shaver Mysteries. He has been called the man who invented the UFO. Nice. And so all of this stuff was tied heavily to Pulp Fiction, and they were doing it back and forth. Fate Magazine still exists. You can still get it. Oh, yeah. And it printed pseudo-archaeology from day one. It was, it was a major organ for that stuff, and it was melding it all from day one. And nothing's really changed. And all it was was warmed over theosophy, which was the origin of ancient aliens. And Jason will talk about all this. Mm-hmm. But it's basically warmed over Victorian pseudo-archaeology of Atlantis and Lemuria and Mew and uh, root races and, and all of that. And none of that's really gone away. It's, the thing is, is there was that period – from like 1940 to about 1980 when it was mainstreamed as astronauts and science. We're not looking for the sons of Cain. We're not looking for that. We're out looking for Gigantopithecus Blackie. You know, we're, we're not looking for demons. We're not looking for spirits. We're looking for recurrent, spontaneous psychokinesis. And that's kind sure. of gone out of fashion. And I think that's the thing is it's it's sort of this bubble that came and went. And now we're back in sort of the bad old days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, Jeb, are there is there are there any statistics? You can understand that there are people who watch these shows who uh-huh. are attracted to all of this stuff uh, and who will tell you, well, it's it's just interesting to think about. Uh-huh. What do we have statistics concerning? Well, what percentage of people who are watching this stuff, who in fact are true believers, and yeah. are not just saying, "Well, well," but it, it's fun, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's hard to say. I mean, you know, a Nielsen rating won't give you that, right? Uh, but I mean, I mean, I remember as early as when you guys were doing cult archaeology and creationism, you were like uh, polling college students yeah. on that oh, question, yeah. which of yeah. course had the problem that they were a weird. Uh, it's not a random or representative sample. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's been some sense. Probably the best book on this topic, it doesn't directly talk about pseudo-archaeology. Uh, it, it only skims it, but it talks about these other ones, is uh, Paranormal America. And it's got a whole bunch of co-authors. The one I remember is Chris Bader. But they actually have deep polling from the Baylor Religion Study in America, okay. which does actually touch on this. The thing is, is that those kinds of studies, they document numbers like you ask Americans if they believe in a literal Satan and you'll see numbers like 60 some percent. Right. You'll see numbers on like, do you believe in UFOs? Of course, what does that mean? It's about between 40 and 50 percent of Americans. Right. 
Now, yeah. how hard they believe it, that's where the Paranormal uh, America book, uh, which has like multivariate stats, it breaks it down, they have degrees. It's a lot, which is a very sciencey thing to say. Um, <laughs> very definitive. Yeah, but it's – you guys have talked about the fringe of the fringe in the past. Oh, yeah. I'm not so sure that's true. Right, okay. I mean that's the problem is I suspect it's not. And there's been a number of, of recent studies. I was reading one earlier this week on looking at conspiracy theory and how it interacts and anti-science interacts with like political partisanship. Right. And yeah. it found that the cross tabs basically suggested that a biblical literalist worldview is the primary uh, determiner. Mm-hmm. Like you could you you could once you take that out, uh, political partisanship really doesn't say that you're going to be more or less anti-science. It, it, right. So it's, it's your religious worldview is so, so, too how it's not. It's not the only one, but it was the biggest one they found. Yeah. See, I find it disheartening that there has become such a divide between science and religion because I don't personally see why there needs to be that divide. But then again, I was not raised religious, so that wasn't drilled into me at a young age either. I don't have to recover from a religious worldview in order to accept science, but it's upsets me that it is such a large percentage of the view of science. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a religious background. Uh, and, and here I would frankly punt to somebody who's more, uh, a more dedicated student of American Christianity. But I, I, I think the thing there is, is there's also a sea change in what were called the mainline churches, the sort of waspy mainline churches, uh, primarily in the Northeast and Midwest, having a lot of cultural capital in much of the 20th century. And that's not quite as true as it once was. And that brings different attitudes towards literalism. Mm-hmm. And But I, I, here I am probably speaking off of what I should. Uh, yeah, as a citizen, I can. As a scholar, I'm like, I can't say that. Because uh, yeah. uh, that's, you know... Wait a minute! You study pottery from Central America. Why are you talking about this? <laughs> but uh, it, that Remember? that gets into a really complicated thing. I'm still recovering from having gone to the Creation Museum last month, or a month. Oh, and you know, ago. I haven't gone, but I really want to go. I I'm just trying to find a way to not give them twenty bucks. It's thirty bucks actually. Oh uh, no, that's even well, worse. Well, we went to the we went to the planetarium, so that that would impact the the cost. Yes, they have a planetarium. How does that even? Work? I know. Is there a giant ice ice dome and you get to stare at the ice dome? Uh, no. It, it, uh, I'm not really sure I want to spoil it. Wait, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. First off, uh, if you are somebody who does not like biblical creationism as an explanation for the past, if, if you're like, oh, I have bad ideas about that museum before visiting, all I'm going to say is whatever you think, it's more extreme than you thought before you walked in. Holy crap. Yeah, and and I've been to the UFO Museum in Roswell. I've been to the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I've been to the Museum of the Weird in Houston, or excuse me, in Austin. I went looking for the Honey Island Swamp Monster at the UCM Museum in Abita Springs, Louisiana. This was easily something completely different. Uh-huh, um, sure. In one way, it was also the cost. Now, I don't mean the cost to get in. It is a high-cost, high-tech, high-production-cost place. Yeah, they. I know that they've put quite a bit of money into the museum itself just for their display. I mean, they've got some pretty high techy stuff going oh, on in there. Oh, yes, they do. And is it I'll subsidized, th- Jeb? Do you know? I mean, the thirty bucks isn't covering, is it? Uh, it's not state subsidized. 
No, I understand, but yeah. Well, remember that was. Remember, they're 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 about to they're about to sue Kentucky. It looks like over that. So Uh, over that arc, yeah, yeah, because they 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 uh, they're not going to get that at least at the moment. And so it looks like they're going to file suit. I don't know if they filed suit yet, but it looks like they will. And I'm just working off a press there. I don't have any inside information. But I don't know know their finances. I know they've had lots of donors. I know they've had Mm -hmm. lots of donors. But you know, you know, uh, quote unquote, real museums do. You know, I mean, you know, they, they, they do as well. Right. Um, but the number I've heard is 20 million. It's got to be higher than that. They've, right. they've had to put 20, more than 20 million. It's amazing, actually, in many respects. Uh-huh. That's going to be on the reviews now. It's amazing. Jeb Card, Miami University. <laughs> um, right, there you go. But right. uh, no, it, it, it is technologically impressive. And the planetarium, first off, maybe other planetariums are like this now. It was a LCD projector, first off. And I'm like, that's a little low tech. It was – they talked about the va- – it was very cosmosy. It was the vast distances and wonder of space. And I'm like, this is the worst evidence ever if you're a young Earth creationist. You understand right. that, people. And, and it actually broke me out of the rest of it. That's why I brought up how well done the rest was because this section wasn't. If you want to have your heart broken, if you are somebody who cares about the past, go see their – display on Lucy. Ooh, no. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, I you may be like I really want to go. I'm actually I'm not going to make a recommendation on air. But okay. they won't that be able to say fun. as recommended by archaeologist no. Jeb Card. Well, they, yeah. they they wouldn't have been able to say that anyway. But um <laughs> oh, but they will try. But, they will, but, yeah. precisely. Uh, yeah, it was a thing. And there is pseudo-archaeology there, and there is cryptozoology there. I bought a number of books there, and you're like, thanks for giving them money. But uh, I bought a number of books there that openly use things like the Colombian Flyers. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Yona Guni. And you're like, what does that have to do with creationism? Yeah, good that's question. exactly my question. Good, yes. good question. Good question. Yeah, I was going to say, can you kind of – The Piri – We've jumped topic again. Yeah, can you kind of – The Piri Reese map. Uh, all these these classics of pseudo-archaeology of hyperdiffusion or ancient aliens, they're all in there. They're all in there. Uh, but uh, is that just – is that simply, see, science, wrong? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I right. think it is. Because I know creationists will try to use the Ica stones oh, yeah. as evidence that humans lived with dinosaurs. Well, they're they're riding, ignoring they're ignoring, ignoring all the other things. So they have a section in the beginning before you even pay, and this will actually get us back on topic. I'm like, oh my god, I, I suddenly got us back on topic. Before you even pay, there's a section called, I think they call it the Dragon Invasion, Dragon Encounter, or something about dragons. They put this in at one point to kind of boost the place. James Bilo, uh, a colleague of mine, he's got another chapter in this Alabama volume we have coming out on this, on the creation of it, because he did ethnography with the team. He's published on this. It's amazing work. And, uh, and that is an endorsement. So you go there, and this was actually the part I was most interested in for several reasons. They've got – so they have this whole thing about witnessing. They're basically like, look, dragons are dinosaurs. Behemoth, Leviathan, St. George, all of these are dinosaurs. Uh-huh. So if there are dinosaurs that are witnessed right. by humans, therefore young earth, therefore. And so they have – and I'm just going to go through what they have in just the dragon exhibit. And we can do a quick, like, what is this, what is this, what is this? They have the Top Prom Stegosaurus, that part of the Angkor complex with the temple at Top Prom. That is not a Stegosaurus, but people think it looks like one. They have imagery of that. They have 
the Sarush Gates of Babylon, which are supposed to be dragons from the early 1920s. People were saying that German explorers, as uh, it Koldavai, uh, was saying that they have imagery of that. They have the Narmer palette with those yeah, kind of oh cat, yeah 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 of course yeah the cat with like the interlocking like serpentine necks that they borrowed from the Sumerians on the back of the Narmer palette they're like right. oh those are sauropods they have like that yeah absolutely. yes wow. they have that so they're just reaching basically oh, yeah. they have uh mo- they have copies of moche pottery with the spondylus monster as Chris Donnan calls it from South America but it looks vaguely like a dragon so they have that they have Nessie. Uh, Ogopogo, uh-huh. uh, these lake monsters, they have that famous cryptozoological kind of folklore about cowboys that shot a pterodactyl in the 1890s that got right. into the press back then. Okay. All of this is in the opening to the Creation Museum. And some of it's pseudo-archaeology of the classic kind, some of it's cryptozoology. It's all blended together. Hey everyone, I'm back with Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm. Jordan, we've been growing our listener base over the last few months. Why don't you tell everyone again what they can get out of listening to The Art of Charm podcasts? Hey, so what we do at The Art of Charm, especially on the show, is we take tools that ultra-high performers use and we make them accessible and we teach them to you. So what we primarily specialize in is relationship building, which is powerful for people in your field because any, well, any academic field or any field period, because as everyone knows, you only get, it, it's all about who you know, right? And most people say that like, well, it's all about who you know, and they don't like that because they're on the losing side of that equation. What we want to do is put you on the winning side of that equation where you say, wow, I'm glad it's all about who you know because maybe this isn't the strongest or maybe I don't want to sleep under my desk and try to outwork everybody or maybe I'm doing both of those things but I still want an edge. Your relationships are what's going to deliver that. So we teach people how to do that, especially people who have kind of an analytical mindset, like a lot of people you might know, if you know what I mean, and they can apply these very practical skills. We don't say things like, just put yourself out there. I don't do that. I say, all right, what you're gonna do is this, and then you're gonna get this information, you're gonna connect these people together, you're gonna follow up in this amount of time, and you're gonna say this. And that makes it a heck of a lot easier because there's no guesswork and there's no fingers crossed, hope this works type of system. It's a real system. Awesome. Check out the Art of Charm podcast wherever you get podcasts and at www.artofcharm.com. Does kind of bring us back to what we Yeah, I know. I, I was actually amazed just when I thought of it. If, uh, you know, I was like, oh my God, that's that's shockingly excellent excellent job shockingly efficient but uh no all that's in there and so the books they they sell have all those things i mentioned they they have a whole book there this one's amazing it is von daniken straight up it is called i don't know if i can reach it i cannot reach it with my cords i'd have to like jedi like pull the thing off from a distance wait 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 can i i think i actually can reach it if i don't turn my head This thing is about dire dragons. And if you open it up, it is dire dragons. It is it was it is literally like dire, like D-I-R-E. Like a dire wolf. Yes, but I think it's just that they are dire. And and what it is is it's literally around the world pictures from some of the rock art that Ken has seen out west. Right. Oh, of course. Or moche pottery. I am looking, for example, at something, a, a supposed petroglyph from Palenque. I'm like, really? Uh, a, a, a sauropod petroglyph from Utah, from the Kachina Bridge right. there, or the Moab Mastodon. And more or less high quality images 
are, are, are sort of like scientific reconstruction drawings of dinosaurs and making them look exactly the same. Wow. So I'm looking at, sure. for example, a coin, a gold angel coin from England of King Edward IV, where they have uh, an angel stomping on a dragon. And next to it, they have a scientific reconstruction of what it should actually look like in the exact same pose, in the exact same okay. pose of a Carnotosaurus sastri, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, that that's what it's really showing. See, and these kind of things aggravate me. Because the same people who will try to tell you that the dinosaurs, that you can't rely on like carbon dating and that kind of stuff to give you a reliable date for these things, are the same people who will turn around and, and use something like uh, the, the 65-million-year-old spider fossil that was found yeah. several years ago, or the, the T-Rex soft tissue. And I'm like, you don't, you don't, you can't use these ancient things and then use them as evidence for young Earth. A, your math is off by, like, light years. And B, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, well but it is cherry-picking. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very cherry-picking, and it irritates me because they, cause they can make a convincing argument to someone who doesn't understand what they're talking about. And so they feel like, at least this is how I perceive it, they feel like they have made a convincing argument. Like the person that used the, the spider thing on uh -huh. me, and he was on fire. He thought he had me. And I was like, your math is off, and it's a giant fossil. It's, it, yes, it looks like a spider, but it's like three times the size of a regular spider. Your dates are off, and as far as the, the, dino, the dinosaur soft tissue, if you read the article that she's published on the soft tissue that they have found, not only just the T-Rex, but in some others, it's not soft tissue. There's no... DNA in it. It's just like this fluke of preservation. But it, it's this, it's, it, it is cherry picking. As Ken says, it's, it's anomaly hunting. And there's like this linguistic element. And this gets back to that, that Honduras city thing where they're like, yeah. it's a lost city. It's a mystery. It's vanished. Once you say those words, now this is not what they intended, obviously. Right. But once you start using those, those words, People will, will hook on to them. There's, sure. I, I'm, I'm sure there's like a, a linguistic study for that, but I study pottery in Central America, so I don't know it. But once you say those words, there's an association. And, and so certain things are predictable. I mean, you can predict, I'll read some story mm -hmm. and it's like, I know how this is going to be used. You know, uh, a classic example, or not classic example, but example I'm waiting for it to all go horribly wrong. I don't know if you all have been following there's this recent genetics that shows that there was a population push about, about the time of the Beaker people, about you know, 4,000 BC-ish, into Europe from, from Russia. Okay. And you, you, know, you both, as students of pseudo-archaeology and the use of archaeology for political and racial ideology in the past, can know exactly where yeah. that's going. Yeah. I mean, that's somebody's going to call that Aryan at some point. Of course they are. Right. And you can kind of start to predict that, even if it's not the same thing. So it's like, this is 65 million years old. You can't use this. Yeah, but you don't know what it is. There's something weird about it. Therefore, it's mine. Because it's just, it's a mystery, and I monger mysteries. Mm -hmm. And once you realize that everything's up for game, and you don't have to have it be like a logical sense to it, other than the logic of, of connecting the dots in any way you want, it 
If the stakes were not so high, it would be a wonderful game. Well, yeah, there, there, you hear that all the time. It's this. The argument is, well, it could be. So therefore, it is. Yeah. yeah. And if you didn't care about the reality, if you're like, you know, if, if you don't have to marry it back to evidence, then it makes for a wonderful session of like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's it's that's how I think of this <laughs> true, stuff. True story. That, yes. That's how I, I mean, think of this stuff. It's like or ghost stories around a campfire where ultimately it doesn't make any difference if there's any such thing as ghosts. You still get scared and it's fun. It's just that then you go to the next step and say, well, but wait a minute, that's actually real. And that disconnect between just the fun part of the storytelling and the reaction that people have, th there's a disconnect between that and the belief that, no, there really are ghosts out there and there are demons and aliens. And that under th that underlies what, what should be our understanding of the world. Well, and you know what? It, it's it, And again, you guys, uh, I think, talked on, on the Noah's Ark one. If people believe these things – as long as they're not getting into sort of your wheelhouse of material evidence, well, fine. Yeah. But so there's so there's the scientific angle. And then there's the other one of if people believe these things and then they go and start praying outside your house because it's full of demons. And by demons they mean, you know, you. <laughs> right. right. Or exactly. they or they start changing education laws. Right. Or what's in or the Or just textbooks. the textbooks in general. Or yeah science policy of how we should do this or how we should do that. But see, that's a whole, mm, that crosses into some very difficult territory because as we kind of tried to say in the um, creationism episode, uh -huh. it is hard. It's one thing for me to say, show me your evidence that aliens were on the planet, whatever years ago, because I'm asking for a, you have made a claim that there was a physical presence and therefore there should be evidence of this presence okay. in the archaeological record. When it comes to religion, the problem I encounter is that, A, it's so ingrained into people's identity of themselves that any attack on religion is a personal attack, regardless if you mean it for it to be not. Uh -huh. So, you know, you get that, that knee-jerk reaction because you personally attack somebody and you come to that whole situation of, well, I experienced this and you can't tell me that that wasn't real. And it's like, well, I can, but since you can't prove that it was real, I also cannot prove that it was not because we're not talking about something that actually occurred anywhere except maybe in your mind. Well, and I think that's why it, the conspiracy theory stuff adheres so well to things like pseudo-archaeology because – if right. it's if it's about what's going to happen to you in the afterlife or did somebody did your your dead relative or did Jesus Christ as your savior visit you you're right that is a personal experience right. was there a flood did, we can prove that did animals evolve did plants evolve did right. uh, you know Atlantis exist did Nephilim do these things those literalist things then but heads. So if you're coming from a more metaphorical or a personal experience and a personal kind of theology, all that, even a shared one, I don't mean personal, but one that's less like, and here are the rocks to show it, then yeah, then it becomes a, a sort of they said, they said problem. The rise of this literalism, which ties into larger 
changes in American society kind of inevitably is going to collide. And when it collides with the likes of us and when we don't bend, of course, then one answer is going to be, well, clearly they're conspiring with the Illuminati. They're conspiring with Satan. They're conspiring with the dark forces that we're going to have to deal with. That's why they hide the giants, because they don't want to give us our victory. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think you know, well, at least that gives me an answer as to why it's important that giants exist. Yeah, I mean, you guys have been talking about this this whole this whole like constant. Where does this conspiracy thing come from? I mean, part of it's just it makes logical sense. You know, it's like every episode of the X-Files. Why don't they prove there's aliens? Because this conspiracy took the evidence, you know. Mm-hmm. So right. it's a nice out. It's, you know, it's like, but it was just a dream in every, you know, every <laughs> really poorly written story. Same idea. Conspiracy, you know, fits the problem. But the larger thing is, is if I understand why the world is and I start to run into elements of the world that don't make sense that way, well, then one, not all logical possible ways out, but one is, well, clearly they're lying to me. Well, and that's a, that, you know, you get into the psychology of belief. Uh, there's another great book called Paranormality out there, mm-hmm. and I'll link to it. It's a great book. Yeah. But that the whole book, it just it focuses on why we as human beings believe the things that we believe, crazy or otherwise. Yeah. And, it, and why it's almost impossible to take someone who is a true believer in these things and convince them of anything other than uh, what they believe. And it's, it's just the way our brains are wired, and it, it does make it difficult. Oh, it's a horrible idea to do that. Uh, I mean, this is, this is one of the thing, these things we talk about with sort of, you know, what should we do about this? You know, you guys are confronting this stuff. You're like, look, here's what this disc is. This is blah, 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 blah. I think that's great. You're not going to convince people that that's a major part of their identity. Who we can hope you would influence would be people who read their stuff. Right. The fence sitters and the people who have legitimate questions. And I, when I used to lecture at uh, Gen Con, I would, because it was an incredibly informal situation. There were people from all over. They were not academics for the most part. I would always start my, my presentation with, if you are a true believer in anything that I am going to go over, there is nothing I am going to say in here that is going to change your mind. Yeah. It's, it will not happen. And I never had a problem with that until the last year that I presented. And there was a woman who sat in the front row and just the whole time, she just shook her head and had to make all these disagreeing noises. And I'm just like, you're very distracting, but you're not, you're only proving my point. Well, she clearly, she clearly made her, her saving throw role to disbelieve. So, right, right. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, sorry. It's, it ultimately, right. ultimately, it, you know, I had uh, a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door the other day, and as few people as they convince that they're right, I bet you yeah. fewer of the people whose doors are knocked on convince them that they're wrong. So yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed that that's a viable system for them. I was like, like really? Marketing strategy? Do you, I don't know. Right, how many people do you actually convert? I want to see the numbers. But yeah. Like, Jeb, Jeb, yeah. The, Tenure is a wonderful thing because uh-huh. well, here's here's why we're talking about you know what actions these folks take in reaction to our trying to to convince them that the the data don't support their 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 worldview is uh-huh. I've received my I haven't received but my dean the dean of arts and sciences receives fairly frequently letters from people who have either read my book or seen me on TV who demand that I get that I be fired 
because of the horrible, horrible uh, in, uh, things that I'm saying. And it, it's amazing. And my dean, I get along with very well, and I've got tenure. She sends these to me just for a laugh. But I can imagine somebody without tenure having to explain to a dean who maybe isn't as sympathetic to what we do, having to explain to that dean, but but this is this was why I was responding to these claims. This is why, as an archaeologist, I feel compelled to respond to these claims about the Nephilim and the Watchers and Atlantis and ancient aliens. And I mean, I wonder if ultimately it's going to cause more of our colleagues to say, you know what, I'm better off not. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at my Mesoamerican pottery, but I am not going to say anything that's going to offend anybody. Well, that's, that's I, a good point. I uh, I think there's probably a truth to that. Although I'll I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute because uh, well actually I won't. I'll, I'll try to split and not lose both ways. One thing I'll tell you is I see increasingly younger archaeology, including like grad students and whatnot. Now maybe they kind of give up on it, but who are who are very interested in dealing with this. And mm-hmm. you know we've talked about this as kind of this new engagement. How there appears to be this increasing engagement with it. Um, if nothing else, they grew up in the same media sphere. Right. That that we, you know, in search of and 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 all this stuff. They grew up with this stuff. You know, and now there are dissertations that are being written about it. Whereas before there really weren't. I I, I created a, a a bibliography a few years ago. It hasn't been updated in the last couple of years, of pretty much every dissertation and master's thesis I could find on sort of paranormal topics. I taught a right. course on this at Tulane. And I'm writing about it. But I created this bibliography. It's on my website, not my website, my old blog, which I don't use. I basically I stopped blogging when I got my job for the reasons you mentioned. Right. Um, but now I'm writing with presses. So I think I've made that decision either way. And I'll come back to that. Sure. But yeah. there are increasingly, if nothing else, the fact that it's in our media more has made it okay for people to be able to do. I mean, I thought it very seriously before I, you know, this was something I thought about in college, like 20 years ago. When I was like, you know, somebody needs to go do an ethnography of UFO people. This is bef- this is like before it blew up in the 90s. Right. Uh, it was in the early 90s. Was just as it began to, I'm like, this is going to blow up. I should seriously consider it. But I'm like, there must be more jobs in archaeology. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? But as as I was about to say. If you find one, let me know. Well, you know, so to, to Ken's, you know, uh, to kind of answer Ken's topic, answer Ken's question, I have this history of making terrible decisions. And, and so – Tenure or not, I, I, I am – I'm working on a book with uh, – it's under contract. It's not finished with University of Mexico Press tentatively titled Spooky Archaeology. Why when I say I'm an archaeologist, I hear Mummy's Curse, mm-hmm. Holy Grail, Noah's Ark, Ancient Aliens, why everybody does, what, why is this? And so it's looking at that topic. So I'm going to get it regardless, uh, whether I have, a, you know, and I suspect, you know, the people here are great, so I'm not worried about anything uh, sympathetic in, in that regard. But as I warned my advisor at some point when I was in, in grad school, you know, if I don't end up with a job. I'm very good at this whole pseudo-archaeology thing. <laughs> right. I mean, do you understand what I could do? Uh, he gave me more respect after that. So, you know. I think my letters probably. I, I think my letters probably got better. Yeah, I I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could put away everything and just jump on the bandwagon because I I really think knowing what I know I could uh, could probably make a pretty penny. Here's the funny thing about that though. I can't tell. I think if you're in the TV business, like running these shows, you do. Yeah. The so-called talent. 
And I don't mean that in like that they're not talented, although I may mean that in specific cases that I'm not going to specify. But the fact that they're not they're not really paid for these shows. Mm-hmm. They do it in many cases to do the talk – not the talk show circuit but like the convention circuit. Sure. Like they'll do like, you know, ghost chasers of whatever – so that they can then go to Paranormal Con 99, you know, or 2015 or whatever in blankety blank wherever and get a, a fee and sell a bunch of books that they own. But I don't think many of them make any real money. I, 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 I don't know, man. Some of the some of the archaeology people, I, one in particular I'm thinking of, you know, just, to, just the pictures that you see of – well, his lab and other things like that. I mean, the fact that they have a, the fact that they have a lab is frankly surprising. Whoever I know, I mean, there's some money that's that's there, and I mean, the show. I mean, they they ship him all over the world without a moment's, you know, just there go. Yeah, I, and I'm like, there's a lot of money they're dumping into some of these shows, which means that some of these people are getting paid well. They're they're dumping- I don't know. Yeah, we we talked about this this whole you know practicing science. It's, you gotta have, if you're a scientist, you have to have a lab. It could right, be in the right. guy's oh, yeah. basement, but it's got to yeah. look authentic because scientists oh, yeah. have labs. It, and it does, you know, just from the few shots I've seen of it, it does look pretty impressive. But you're right; it could just be the corner of his basement that's just, you know, well lit. Well, let me ask you: There's two ways in pseudoarchaeology you can go with the lab. You can either a go with it's not going to be like old computers and you know posters and uh, coffee mugs. It's not going to be an actual lab. Uh, right. It's either it's either going to a be dark lighting and like bright brightly lit screens like hackers use in movies, right. uh, yes. and blue lighting and all that. So it's yes. either going to be that, right. or it's going to be Victorian paneling and masks and maps. And lots of like brass, lots of brass, brass and fedoras, and all right, all right. and the explorers club. Look. So which one was it? <laughs> Look, you people and your steampunk hating. All right, oh, no, knock no. it off. Do not mock the steampunk, okay? It's, Let's just—that's my subculture. I'm defending it right uh, now. Profiles in CRM, a weekly podcast. Ask CRM professionals eight simple questions. The first questions establish education, location, and experience. The last questions are a reflection of that experience, and the answers will surprise you. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. On that page, you can also request to be interviewed for the show. It only takes 20 minutes, and you don't need any special equipment. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, as long as you don't conduct science by its rules, I think it's fantastic. Well, you know, see, the steampunk – I'm fascinated by the title that you put on one of your articles yeah. because steampunk for me is – it's play. I would in no way ever try to sell what I was doing and or the character that I created for the steampunk reality that we have here. It, it, it's not scientific and that's the whole point. I mean she's totally a pseudo-archaeologist. It's, it's all about looking for these lost continents yeah. and – and fake people. And I mean, that's, that's an outlet for me. I would never try to sell that as actual science, which is why I'm fascinated. Like, who have you run into that? Like, well, let me, well, they, it's steampunking science and trying to sell well, it let me for give real. You, let me give you an example. I'm, I'm, I'm using it as a metaphor in the article, but it's not an inapt one. The, the, basically the reason, and this actually ties into what we're talking about, I think, because I'm not sure 
what that would be at this point. But just the, go with for, it, Jeff. I know, I know. I mean, sorry, I got you off topic. Yeah, but no, no, no. This is actually on topic. Uh, so the article, I mean, basically, if you look at these various fields, what they often do is they often replicate the sort of state of the science when these fields were just beginning to emerge. So cryptozoology, in essence, is kind of, sort of, a caricature of bringing back alive natural history mm-hmm. from the Victorian era, the great white hunter. Uh, right. Not ecological survey, not you know carrying capacities, but natives saw this thing. We're going to go get it. Uh, pseudoarchaeology, I mean, that one's obvious. We've, you guys have talked about it. We've been talking about it. It, it pretty much plays purely Victorian tropes, uh, Victorian colonialist tropes, theosophy, all these sorts of things. Uh, ufology, the UFO people, they harken back not to the Victorians, but to the beginning of aerospace, to right. the 1940s oh, and 50s, and that very kind of yeah. World War II to early Cold War mentality. And in all of these, and here's where the steampunk thing comes in. It wasn't random. Though I figured it might get a few hits on it. But the reason I did it is if you look at one of the core kind of political ethos to the philosophy, it plays on this very vibrant sort of Victorian idea of the explosion of science and of the sort of freedom of mechanics. Like you want to go build an airplane, an aeroplane, go do it in your garage. No one's going to stop you. And so steampunk very much has – meshed with the DIY, with the maker movement and all of that, yes. you know, calling, sure. cor- calling Cory Doctorow. But, um, yeah, Steve Punk is very DIY. It's, it's very right. maker. It, I mean, it, it is an intersection of a lot of handicrafts and that well, kind of crap. Then let me stuff. ask, then let me ask you this. I mean, I'd be Socratic, which my students always hate. What is, if there is one piece of technology, and I'll give you a hint, it was in the news today. If there's one piece of very iconic technology today that steampunks constantly complain about as sort of a symbol of modern technology that they don't like, what is it usually? You 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 may know what I'm, I'm hinting at. That we complain about. They use them. They complain on them. Oh, the cell phones, the computers and, and, spe- and, cell phones. and specifically iPhones. Specifically iPhones. Why? Because they're black slabs that you can't tell how they work. You can't use them. And in certain models and brands, you can't fix them. You can't modify them. We used to call it jailbreaking if you wanted to touch their operating system at all or change it to carriers. And in some versions of these things, the battery is glued in. You can't touch it. You have to send it back to the corporation and you buy things on it through a company store. That limits that's what that's why I don't do. use that brand. Precisely. <laughs> that is everything that so Steve You can't personalize hate. it and interact with it. Right. It, and you can't it, tell how it works. It's basically a magic black box that you don't own. You rent, you rent the use of it. Somebody else owns it. Oh, I'm afraid we're getting off topic with technology. Yeah. <laughs> as much but, as I love it. Well, but well, no, it comes back. It comes back. So okay. steampunks are all like, you know what? I want to see a machine and how it actually works. I want to have a machine that I can tweak, that I control, that isn't me just renting space on somebody's network to basically farm me like a surf. Now, I think there is a lot to be said for that. I think there's a lot to be said for that. When you turn it to science, though, that's why all all these Victorian pseudo-archaeologists, the fact that pseudo-archaeologists rely on them isn't because they have to. 
It's because they symbolize a sort of cognitive ability to do what the hell you want. Nobody yeah, freedom, is gonna, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, a freedom, freedom of authority. And that authority mm-hmm. is what we call responsibility to the data and to scientific methods. Professionalization. Mm-hmm. They don't... See, I- Good. I see that. that. No, I see that. That's good. Yeah. I, I see how you connected that. They don't want to do that. They they basically don't want to be told that that's wrong. And so this appeals, and so they hearken back either literally in many cases or symbolically in the safari clothes and in the expeditions. Nobody talking about going on expeditions anymore. They're like, oh, yeah, we're in the third year of the project, the third field season. No, we're going on an expedition. You know who goes on yeah. expeditions? Alan Quartermain goes on expeditions. Right. <laughs> Indiana Jones goes on expeditions. You know, uh, those people and, – and Professor Elemental goes on expeditions, okay? Ah, oh, bless you. Yeah, bless. and so that's, that's the thing. They're reaching for these because they're reacting to modernity and they're reacting to Ooh. the professionalization of science in the 20th century when the gatekeepers get added. So it's like science punk. Yeah, but with not s- – I don't. I don't want to. But without actually using science. Yeah, I'm mean, using if, the symbols of science. Yeah, I wonder if their claim would be they're democratizing science. Oh, I, I, it would yeah. be. And yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, well, science. As, science is a democracy. That's that's the problem. Well, but here's the thing: is Ken knows exactly who I'm talking about, but there are certain people that bring up some legitimate points. I don't disagree with them on everything inside the profession of archaeology. Right. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Of course, yeah. Who argue that attacking pseudo-archaeology is anti-democratic, it's squelching voices, and Ken's response to this, and other people have responded to this to go, have you met these people? (laughs) And you know what? In certain contexts, in certain national traditions of archaeology and alternative archaeologies, I am actually more sympathetic to it because it's right. not as extreme. Again, getting back to our topic of sort of this literal, very religious in many contexts uh, and very kind of nasty conspiratorial in many contexts because uh, you can be alternative and not have those things. And then it's usually not butting heads as much with science. But um, there are people who are like, you're being too nasty and negative and exclusionary yeah, in yeah, your yeah. scientism. And they accuse people like that of being – of, of, of being the same thing. They're like, you're just using the symbols of science. You're, you're yeah. like beating people over the head with Popperian hypothet- hypothetical deductive reasoning. And, nice, nice. And, and, I think and you're op- oppressing, oppressing other alternative interpretations of the past. And I so think, we are oppressors. And, and Ken and I differ a little in that I think there's – I think there has been. I don't think there's much of one now, but I, and there is some. But I think there has been some – Small truth to that. I mean, an example, uh, Great Zimbabwe, which for decades, even though uh, Gertrude Catton Thompson proved in 1928 that it was built in the medieval era by uh, indigenous sub-Saharan Africans, uh, you know, the government of Rhodesia was for decades with its scientific authority saying, no, white people built this because apartheid. Right. You know, and, 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 you know, so we, we can all think of examples like that. So I think there's been and, – and there's more subtle ones. You know, as I always tell my classes, if you ever need an extreme thing, let's go to the Nazis. But, um, you know, there are more subtle ones and we've been guilty of them and we probably still are. But well, – See, that's the, that's the beauty uh, – to me, that's the true beauty of science because, yes, there have been these situations, but 
we know of them because they have either self-corrected or they have been browbeaten into being corrected because that's what science does. It's one of the very few things that is actually truly self-correcting. It may take a few years, maybe even a few decades, but it will correct itself. Absolutely. The thing I would protest against those arguments, and I'm not unsympathetic to them depending on the context, that's talking about indigenous voices or basically non-white male voices that have been excluded and have been excluded and are still excluded due to structural issues is not the same thing as saying you're mean because you won't accept or you won't listen in a democratic sense to people who say, oh, look, the Nephilim built stargates under Babylon. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. But the problem is, is sometimes people can't see the difference. And I I blame that on the lack of, as I always do, I blame that on the lack of teaching critical yeah. thinking in the school systems. Yeah, days. and so that's that's why that's why I wrote my article as a sort of, you know, looking at various different of these kind of ology fields that, ha- you know, the, you know all the in search of fields, these discovery fields, as Christopher Bader and company call them in, in Paranormal America. Uh, they're all very similar. And I think to, on the one hand, not say that argument is wrong. Because again, I'm sympathetic to it in some ways, not in a lot of ways, but in some ways I very much am. And say, look, you're dealing with one thing. This really is something else. And to show you it's something else, let's look at its intellectual cousins, and in some cases it's intellectual siblings mm-hmm. or spouses or whatever, however you want to do the kinship <laughs> chart, and kind of like back away, like step back a little and realize, you know what, there is a problem and saying, look, your squelchy multivocality should not then be carte blanche to say, but aliens did it. Right. You know? Okay, well, Jeb, this has been amazing. And I have I two shows have out of this, huh? I do. I, I actually let it run long because I knew I could get two shows okay. out of this. Um, we'll pay you so double, the, Jeb, so you get, you get yeah. time and a half for overtime. I, I, I think that's mathematically sound. So yeah. time, time and a half of zero. Exactly. So, you know. Exactly. You, you could just consider the check in the mail. Yeah, no, it's been um, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'd like I said, I'd love to have you back on. Uh-huh. Uh, there were some other topics that you brought up uh, in email. And there's some other ones I, would... I haven't mentioned yet that we could, maybe some more case-based ones that we might be able to talk about in the future. Uh, sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll sort of te- tease uh... that. <laughs> but this is, this is a I, great I... introduction to that, though, to a context for these specific case-based discussions, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I just want to say thank you for being on both shows now, and uh, thank you, Ken, for being on oh, both yeah, shows. This was and great. I, I knew that Jeb would give us some really good uh, talking points here, so that's awesome. I, I know my extreme things that I generally shouldn't talk about in polite company very well. <laughs> there you go. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Jeb. This was, it was great. Um, just fantastic stuff. All right. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archaeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog 
at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Human evolution makes us not.